This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. Matthew chapter 15, if you'd go there with me, please. Matthew chapter 15 recounts three different interactions with Jesus. Each one has their own separate significance, but together they really tell a much deeper story. I want to read in a moment out of uh, chapter 15, verse 21. But I'm going to kind of give you an, an overview before we get there. There's a title for my message today. It's I'll Take the Crumbs. I'll Take the Crumbs. I don't have to have the whole meal. I'll just take the crumbs. In the beginning of Matthew, Jesus is being questioned. The Pharisees and the scribes, the religious folks, are basically trying to pick an argument with Jesus about tradition. They don't like the way him and his disciples are doing things. They don't like that they don't wash their hands before they eat. Just so we're clear, that's nasty. You should wash your hands before you eat. Especially uh, with this wonderful virus added to the list of everything else. They had a problem with the fact, though, that the disciples were not going through the cleansing ritual. It's deeper than just washing your hands. They weren't going through the ritual. They weren't following tradition. They weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And so they're arguing with Jesus, and Jesus really isn't having a lot to do with it. And so he goes on, and this, the story goes, you can read it there. He says, well, here's the deal, gentlemen. It really has nothing to do with what goes in a man's mouth that defiles a man, but rather it's actually what comes out of his mouth because what comes out of his mouth comes out of his heart. And if a man's going to be defiled and defined, it's going to be by what comes out rather than what goes in. And they, of course, don't like that. And so he has to go further, and he gives them an anatomy lesson. He said, what you eat is going to go through your digestive system, and the nice translations say it's going to be expelled. You can figure out the rest. It's not what goes in, but it's what comes out. And it gets exhausting. Can we just be honest? It gets exhausting dealing with People like the Pharisees were and just wanting to pick a fight and just wanting to be the, the negative Nancy, just wanting to be the one to counter it all. You ever had anybody in your life like that that's just like, my Lord, can it just stop? And it's exhausting. And so in verse 21, we find Jesus going away from there. And that's where I want us to pick up, and I'm actually going to read this to you. I'm reading today out of the New American Standard Bible. It says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. 
And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he only uh, he answered and said, I was only sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Mark chapter 7 also recounts this incident, and it's interesting to see the parallels. Mark doesn't call this woman a Canaanite, but he makes it clear that she is a Syrophoenician. Maybe your Bible has a little heading there. It says the Syrophoenician woman. All that means is that this lady was uh, Syrian and she was from Phoenicia. You with me? <laughs> Doesn't have to be complicated. It's just that easy. But Matthew tells us that she's a Canaanite. That's a little bit more of a descriptor. The fact that she's a Canaanite meant that she was a pagan. She was an enemy of Israel. She came from the descendants of the ones that actually tried to, to go against the Israelites, go against God's chosen people. So she should not have, uh, in real terms, she is somebody that Jesus would have automatically been opposed to if it hadn't have even been for her race and gender in the first place. The fact that where she comes from, the fact that she is the descendant of the Canaanites, the one that the Israelites had to battle, the one that tried to destroy God's people should be enough. But there's more to that. Matthew calls her a Canaanite. So we've got this lady. Jesus has withdrew. He's trying to get on his own. I think that maybe to rest, he's trying to uh, settle down and slow down. He's trying to get away from uh, those Pharisees and scribes, the Jewish fellows. So he goes into Gentile territory. He goes into where the Gentiles are. And, and he's there, I believe, later you can figure out in Mark, he's actually teaching his disciples. I think he withdrew to pour into the inner circle. I don't know that for sure. I know the evidence shows that he did teach the disciples while he was there. So I don't know if that was the intended purpose. Regardless of what the intended purpose was, he went away from where he was, and now he finds himself in Gentile territory about 20 miles from where he was. And this lady shows up, the Syrophoenician woman, the Canaanite woman, and she begins to beg for mercy her first statement to him was, have mercy on me, in verse 22, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Her daughter is critically uh, messed up, demon-possessed, an unclean spirit. We'll say she's sick, obviously. And the first statement that comes out of this lady's mouth is, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. What's the importance the importance is this lady who had no business whatsoever approaching Jesus approached Jesus, the Messiah, and recognizes her place and recognizes that more than anything else in the world, she needs mercy. She needs grace. You and I are in a place where uh, no matter where we are in this walk of life, we've got to learn to approach Jesus with the mentality that we don't earn anything, we don't deserve anything, we don't get an attaboy for being good. Lord, have mercy on me. Give me mercy tomorrow to make it through tomorrow. God, give me grace at the end of this day because I'm sure I needed it with what took place today. God, give me mercy. Her first statement is, Lord, have mercy on me. 
And she begins to bow down. The word there actually is that she fell prostrate, literally face down, laying in front of Jesus, humbling herself. She's put herself at a place that is low at his feet. We see the same thing in Mark chapter 5, verse 22, when Jairus, the, the leader of the synagogue, also shows up to Jesus and he fell at his feet to cry out for healing for his child. This tells us that no matter whether we're the leader in the synagogue or whether we're Jesus' worst enemy, when we approach Jesus, it should be humbly before him, bowing at his feet. You with me? No matter who we are. We, you read us and Mark is recounting this. And, and from, from the synagogue leader, the one that has it together, the, the Jewish leader of the synagogue, from, from Jairus, now to this lady who has no business even approaching Jesus, the same action took place when they fell prostrate before him. She begins to beg and cry out, and Jesus' response is kind of rough. Because verse 23 says, he didn't answer her a word. His response is silence. Silence hurts. Silence is no fun. Y'all ever got the silent treatment? I'd about rather you punch me in the face and fuss me out than be quiet. Nobody wants the silent treatment. And this lady has come, and she has put herself at Jesus' feet, and she has stepped out of line and broke every cultural barrier that there is. Lord, have mercy on me, son of David. She calls him by his uh, messianic, the Israelite name, son of David. Ha have mercy on me. And Jesus just stands there and looks at her. Silence isn't always a fun answer. But he had to test the faith. How often do we approach Jesus in prayer? How often is it that we're asking something from the Lord? And the answer seems to be crickets. And instead of staying for just a little while and asking again, we turn around and we walk away with our head held down. Well, that wasn't what that was supposed to be. Silence. Silence is a harsh answer, but sometimes Jesus answers in silence. This lady, though, is still willing to be persistent. Psalm 62, 1 says, My soul waits in silence for God only. From, from Him is my salvation. In those seasons of silence, sometimes it just feels so dark and cold and dreary. I can't imagine what this woman felt. I don't know if this was a 30-second pause of silence. I don't know if this was a 30-minute pause of silence. Regardless, if you've ever stood on a stage, 10 seconds feels like an eternity. And I think this lady probably felt the same thing. That the silence that took place, there's, I can imagine what the thoughts were racing through her mind. Yet she was persistent. The silence is broken by the smirks and the remarks of the disciples. They want to be jerks in this moment. The contrast between Jesus 
and his disciples, they see somebody that's not like them. They see somebody that's interrupting and encroaching on their time. And because it's not convenient for them, Lord, send her away. She keeps shouting at us. For the church, that's a hard message. Because so many times we're, we're wanting our time, we're wanting it to be the way we need it to be, and we want God to move the way we want God to move. And it's so unfortunate that within the four walls of not just this church, but any church, we're so guilty of saying, Lord, send that person away, whether we actually verbalize that or not, by not allowing them to come in, by not allowing them to be a part, by not allowing them to receive what God has for them. Ultimately, we're just pushing them away in some way, shape, or form because it's not convenient for us in the moment. And so Jesus' silence, which is already bad enough, is followed by the disciples saying, send her away. We withdrew to be alone. Send her away. And then Jesus responds with a statement that I think some of us probably have issues with. In verse 24, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What about that response? I mean, picture yourself as this lady. She showed up. She what? First of all, this lady, Jesus was not supposed to have anything to do with the woman. Let's go there for a second. Not only is she a Canaanite, not only is she a Gentile, she's a woman. The Pharisees had a group. It was interesting. Tommy and I were talking about this yesterday. They had a group called the Bruised and Bleeding Pharisees. This group was created because when a Pharisee walked by a woman that was not his mother or his wife, he covered his eyes and he ran into whatever was in front of him. And they created the group, the bleeding and the bruised Pharisees. And they wore these scars proudly. Because they obeyed the law so far and to such an extent that they were willing to bloody their nose by walking into the wall to keep from just making eye contact with the woman passing by. Jesus was not even supposed to look at this lady, more or less entertain a conversation. It's very similar to the lady at, at the well, the Samaritan woman. He should have never sat down to have a conversation, yet here he is entertaining the conversation with somebody he shouldn't be. Everybody else says, no, Jesus. And Jesus says, watch me, son. Silence. Disciples send her away. And then Jesus said, well, I didn't really come for you. I came for Israel. That one's kind of gut-wrenching. I didn't come for you. I came for the lost sheep. Of Israel. That's fact. All through history, why do we have the Old Testament? To lead and help us understand this entire concept. From the beginning, when God separated his people, the Israelites, and tried to lead them out of Egypt and tried to give them a promised land from the very beginning when they kept messing up time after time after time after time, they needed a Messiah. They needed a Savior. They needed Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah prophesied about him. And now here he is, the one that would save the children of Israel. He said, I came only for the lambs, the lost sheep of Israel. This woman's response is amazing to me. She said, 
Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Jesus said, I really didn't intend. My ministry is not really meant for you at all. I want my mission behind coming. I came to save the lost sheep. And then she makes the statement. But even the dog, or he, he comes back and says, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus calls this woman a dog. A dog. You need to know the context. Because Jesus being a Jew and being with the Pharisees and the scribes, the culture, the, the, the realm that he's in, it is the slang term that they're using for Gentiles. It's a slang term. It was not uncommon for the Jewish people to call the Gentiles and the Greeks dogs. Rough. Literally. The sad part is it's so easy for the church to call the ones on the outside that don't look like us, don't talk like us, don't live like us, dogs. Jesus said, it's not good to take the bread off the table that's meant for the children throw it to the dogs. And then this lady, number one point, by the way, is she's got persistent faith. She doesn't stop. She was just insulted by Jesus himself. Now let's take note. He didn't call her a mud out in the street. You go back to the original language. He called her a small house dog that would actually be under the table. You say, Pastor, she still was a dog. Yes. The whole point of this, though, is she was allowed in the house. She was allowed to the table. Because she says her response to Jesus, which obviously was a good enough response, this persistent faith that she keeps pushing, she says, well, you're right. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She had persistent faith, but not only did she have persistent faith, she had humble faith. She recognized she was messed up. She recognized she was not supposed to be with Jesus. She recognized that he was the master. I am a dog. You're right. Yes, Lord, I'm a dog. But even the dogs get to go to the table. Even the dogs get to lick the crumbs up off the floor. If it's up to me, I'm okay just taking the crumbs. Even the dogs get to lick the crumbs that just drop from the table. This humble faith. It's so hard for some of us sometimes to take our place and realize that we aren't the master. We aren't in charge. If you've got a type A personality like me who is a person that if it's not getting done, I just do it. And if I don't like it, I just do it. If you're like me and it's just, you know, I have to just make sure things are getting accomplished. If you're like me at all, you don't like the fact that you're not the one in control. 
And we have a hard time in the church sometimes stepping back and saying, God, I recognize that you're the master. Let me just simply be a dog at your feet. Let me simply lick the crumbs, the glory that you just dropped. Whatever you give me, Lord, is enough. Let me eat the crumbs off the ground, God, up under the table as long as I get to make it into the house. This lady's so humble. Yes, Lord, I recognize I'm a dog. Yes, God, I recognize I have no business in your house whatsoever. But even those dogs get to go eat the crumbs. She's persistent. Her faith is humble. And then Mark, in Mark 7, verse 30, is the one that tells us that our faith is trusting. Jesus said, because of this answer, you realize he responded to the humility? Because you recognize who you are and you recognize who I am? Because of this answer, your faith is great, lady. It's done for you. And Mark says... Verse 30, going back to her home, she found the child laying on the bed, deeming the demon have, having left. She's got trusting faith. She's got persistent faith. She doesn't stop. Keep that in mind. She doesn't stop, okay? Humble faith. And now that persistent faith has got enough faith that when he says it's done, she believes it's done. It won't in her character just a few verses ago. Her character was, I'm not stopping. You call me a dog. You give me the silent treatment. You try to send me away. I'm not moving. Jesus says it's done. And she has the trusting faith. In my life, I like to talk about me because I hate to talk about y'all. I find myself begging God to do something or begging God to move. Questioning God, why Why are you doing, what, what are you doing? Why haven't you answered this prayer yet? Didn't he answer in his word when Paul said all things are working together for the good of those that love him. They're called to go into his purpose. Didn't he answer when he said, ask, seek, knock, and you shall receive, and all this shall be given to you? Didn't he answer us already? Yet yeah, so often we don't have the trusting faith. Faith being the evidence of things that are hoped for, therefore they're not here. And the substance of things, which means this is a substance of things unseen. That means there actually is something to the thing I can't see. In order to have trusting faith, you've got to be willing to stand on the fact that if he said it, it's done. If he said it, I can believe it. I might not see it. I might not feel it. But faith is not about seeing and feeling. It's the evidence of things not yet to come and the substance of things hoped for. It's, it's what I can't see. 
So trusting faith has to be faith that is about something that I can't see, but I believe that it's there. So trusting faith. Persistent faith, humble faith, trusting faith. I told you there's three different encounters. and I can't really stop there. As good as that is, not because I had anything to do with it, but that's good. Verse 29 says, Departing there, Jesus went to the Sea of Galilee and going up to the mountains. He was sitting there. Large crowds came to him. So now we're not talking about one dog. We're talking about packs of dogs. He hadn't moved. He's still in Galilee. He's still in Gentile territory. And now these Gentile crowds, the dogs, your Bible says the lame, the crippled, the blind, the mute. Not only the dogs, the reject dogs. The crowds brought him and they laid him at his feet. And it says he healed him. They were healed through the crumbs. His purpose was to put the bread on the children's plate, which was the children of Israel. And this woman stood up to him and says, fine, I just want the crumbs that are falling on the floor. And that's enough for her child now to be healed of a demon possession. Jesus didn't even speak to that demon. Do you realize that? Go back through and read. He didn't even vocally communicate with that demon. He, that demon is gone. And now the lame, the sick, the blind, the mute, the rejected dogs have been healed. But what's even more amazing about this is that in verse 32, he said, I feel compassion for the people. I feel compassion for the people. He looks out from the mountain, he sees all these people and they're there and they have to be hungry. He said, I have compassion for them, for the rejects, the ones that are broken, the ones that are messed up, the ones that have no hope, the dogs, the ones that have been, I mean, I'm, you know what a dog is, gnawing on dead flesh, bringing up the nasty, stinky junk that just want to chew on a bone from something that died. The dirty dogs. And yet he's moved with compassion. And then this lady that we talked about who got the crumbs I'd have been a little upset if I'd have been her because over 4,000 people that day got a feast. The dogs. Jesus then, if you'll see this in your mind's eye with me, has prepared a table on the mountainside and these crowds have been able to come. They've been welcomed to the table. And he feeds thousands of people out of compassion. He feeds thousands of dogs 
out of compassion. What does that tell me? Well, everybody's welcome in the Father's house. Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free, we're all welcome in the Father's house. Jesus knocked the whole idea of I'm here just to save the children of Israel in the head. He said, I came to save that which was lost, which is the lost sheep of Israel. But the dogs were also lost. There's nothing that we can do to keep us out of the Father's house. There's nothing, there's no place we can, can get to. There's no sin that's so deep, that's so dark. There's no hopeless situation so far that don't allow us to come to the Father's table. I'm willing to be a dog. I'm willing to say, let me, Master, just be under the table. Let me just be here and get a little bit of what it is you've got. But everybody's welcome to the table. My favorite part of the story is the disciples, after these thousands of people have been fed, Jesus said, now take the baskets and go pick up the broken pieces. Go pick up the crumbs. The disciples. Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 15. Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees. And then he takes the disciples away. It was supposed to be this retreat for the disciples. I believe that wholeheartedly. I believe it was supposed to be a team-building retreat, if you'll let me put it in modern-day contemporary terms. I believe it was supposed to be, I'm taking you away to pour into you. Nobody should do sorry Pharisees that are aggravating us not out of us. Can't, they won't come here to aggravate us. I'm taking you away to pour into you. They were there to be poured into. One person shows up, and then crowds of people showed up, and then thousands of people have to be fed. Imagine what that kind of did to the disciples. So often what it does to us leaves us feeling like we're on the back burner. We've been forgot about. But I believe there has to be some kind of revelation when Peter's walking through where those crowds of people have just ate. It had to have been messy because Jesus wouldn't have sent them to get the leftovers if they had to be messy. And Peter has to look over at John. This is just my mind. Give me the liberty for a moment. It's not in Scripture. And you say, you know what, John? I've gone about this all wrong. It's a blessing and a privilege to serve under this man, Jesus. I'd rather be a dog in his house I'd rather be the one that holds the door for the house of God than in a tent anywhere else. John, I'll take the crumbs. I'll take the crumbs. I don't know about you. I'm okay taking crumbs. It's not always meant for me to have a seat at the table to get the feast. In reality, isn't it all a feast? 
Matthew chapter 8. Matthew records Jesus talking and I believe almost kind of prefacing where he's headed and what's going to happen. In chapter 8, verse 11, he said, I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west and will recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. I'm excited to go recline at the table. But Lord, have mercy on me. I'm okay being a dog. I'll take the crumbs. In case you forgot, this was a message about faith. This lady had persistent faith, humble faith, and trusting faith. Don't stop when silence is the answer. Don't stop when everybody else around is saying you need to just leave and go away. Don't bother. Just be quiet. Don't stop. Humbly approach the master. We got to learn our place. It ain't mine. Nothing that I have is mine. The day that I'm living is not my day. It's I'm living on, if you will, borrowed time. It's God's purposed and destined my life. He's ordered my steps. And if it's for me to drop dead the moment I walk out that door, so be it. I'm done. It's not mine. Humble faith is recognizing I can live on the crumbs as long as you're my master. And then trusting faith, when God speaks, it is done. These stories together come together to tell this beautiful story of God's grace and his love that extends to every person. Everybody gets to eat. Everybody gets to go to the table. Everybody from the east to the west, doesn't matter who, doesn't matter color, don't matter gender, doesn't matter, none of that matters. Because Jesus said from the east to the west, many are going to come and recline around the table in the kingdom of heaven. Father, I love you, Lord. God, I thank you for being the master. God, let me always be the one subject to the master. Let me never forget my place. Let me never forget, God, that I am the one that's supposed to be humbled at your feet. God, that I am supposed to lay prostrate. God, some days I don't even get to look up to see you because I need to be face down before you, humbly before you, God, with a persistent and trusting and humble faith. Father, you've got so much for our life. Jesus came to give life and life abundantly. Lord, if that means it's crumbs for me, I'll take the crumbs. Father, if I get an opportunity to serve so that I can hold the crumbs, God, let me have the crumbs. There's a beauty in serving in your house. There's a beauty in serving in your kingdom, Father. I can't imagine what it would have been like for the disciples that day, God. I can't wait to hear them retell the story of how they picked up the leftovers and in that moment realized it's all about serving. It's all about having compassion. It's all about seeing people for who God sees them rather than who they really are in this earth, God. It's about seeing people in the way that you see them. God, let us see people how you see people. 
Let us serve, Lord. If it means that I only get the crumbs, God, I'll take the crumbs. As long as I get to be in your presence, I'll take the crumbs. God, I thank you for your grace that allows each and every one of us to come into your presence, allows each and every one of us, God, to have an opportunity to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Thank you, Lord. Our heads bowed if you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've drifted away. Your relationship with the Lord is not where it needs to be. You don't know that you get to go into the house and maybe even get the crumbs. God wants to welcome you into the master's house today. He wants to give you an opportunity to come into the house. You don't know him. Your relationship's not where it should be. Today's the day for you. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? I just want to pray for you. I can't leave an opportunity open in this moment. Hallelujah. Father, the blessing is those in this room are going to have a spot around the table. Father, I pray that you would give us a persistent faith. God, that when we ask, we keep asking. God, when we are waiting on you, Lord, let us not let silence or, or the voices around us. God, let us not let anything put us off our track. Lord, let us have that persistent faith in you. Lord, let us be humble. Let us have a servant's heart. Let us have the heart of, of you, Jesus, where you realized it was better to serve. God, let us trust you and trust in your word. Your promises are true. Give us trusting faith today. Father, I pray for the needs of the house. God, there's names that we've been calling out in prayer. God, we thank you for the praise report for Brother Michael Ball. God, and even Brother Danny Bird, Lord, that both of them are well and, and doing much better. Father, I thank you for that. God, we've got family members that are part of this church family, God, an extended family from this church family, Lord, that are battling COVID, that need a touch from you, some even in the hospitals. God, I pray that you touch them. Lord, touch their lungs, touch their body, give them strength. We've seen you do it time and time again. God, and today we've got persistent faith. We've got humble faith, God, and we've got trusting faith. Lord, touch those that need a touch today, God, spiritually, mentally, Father, emotionally. Lord, they're struggling, God. They're battling with their, their own thoughts, God, the, the, the depression and different things that are coming against them, anxiety. Father, I rebuke it right now in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for healing. Lord, I pray for those that are not able to come into the house, Lord, those that are home for whatever reason, God, that are either sick or that are trying to stay well, Father, whatever it may be. Father, I pray blessings on them right now. Give them strength in their bodies, Lord. Touch them. Father, I thank you. I worship your name, Jesus. Lord, I pray blessings on your people. I pray you bless them. Keep them, God. Give them grace and peace. Let your face shine on them. In the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.